This is Point of Discovery. I'm Mark Earhart. We recently invited three leaders in science and engineering at the University of Texas at Austin to talk about the lack of diversity in their respective fields and ways to tackle the problem. We featured highlights from their conversation in the previous podcast. The episode you're listening to right now is the full conversation. So if you heard the highlights and wanted to hear more, you're in the right place. If not, let me introduce the speakers. Linda Hickey is Dean of the College of Natural Sciences. Sharon Mosher is Dean of the Jackson School of Geosciences. Sharon Wood is Dean of the Cockrell School of Engineering. Our guest interviewer is Kayla Ebereme, a public health and pre-med student who is also a campus leader in two student groups, Women in Natural Sciences and the Council for Diversity Engagement. Kayla, take it away. Hello. Um, So our first question is, um, what inspired you to become a scientist or an engineer, um, and who were your early role models? So I'll start with that. Um, I think I was a bit lucky because my father, my grandfather, and my great-grandfather were all civil engineers. So I had wonderful role models as I was growing up. I knew what an engineer did, and so it wasn't a big mystery to me. And I think my in my family, my parents just they didn't have any um, they didn't set any roles that were for men or for women or boys or girls. It was and everything was open to us. Um, so it just was kind of natural for me to be to want to become a civil engineer. And I was really lucky that um, you know I, I enjoyed it. Uh, my dad took me out to a, a construction site he was working on when I was eight years old, and after that, I wanted to be a civil engineer. So. That's amazing. Um, so I had a somewhat different experience. Neither of my parents was a scientist. Um, one was a historian and the other was in the Air Force and a business person. But they um, ended up with three kids, all of whom have PhDs in some aspect of the bio or geological sciences. And I think um, it was because my parents, although they weren't scientists themselves, um, expressed a, a great deal of um, curiosity about the natural world and took us on lots of trips. And that's kind of what we spent our youth doing was was thinking about questions about the natural world and how things worked. And I guess I have a somewhat similar and experience to uh, both of you. When when I was a kid, my folks raised me that I could do anything I wanted to do. It didn't matter, you know, whether you were male or female, you just could do what you're capable of doing. And what I think probably inspired me to be a scientist to begin with was after Sputnik, uh, all of a sudden they put science teachers in grade school. And so I had my first science teacher in fifth grade, and that's when I found out what science was. And I had always been interested in uh, rocks and minerals, and suddenly I found out what one could do with those. And ever after that, um, I I pursued being a scientist. I did my own experiments in the basement. My father built me a chemistry lab with a Bunsen burner, and, you know, I... (laughs) You know, taught myself chemistry and uh, from there on. But I have to admit, uh, when I went to school, there were very few women in any, of, certainly in the geosciences or engineering. And so I, other than my, you know, parents who really encouraged me, I don't remember really having a role model specifically. So I was actually really lucky in that um, I went to the University of Virginia in the late 1970s. And it had been an all-male school until 1970. So as a result, there were a lot of women there just because we people couldn't have gone there before. And so 30% of my undergraduate engineering class was women. 
mm-hmm. which we're wow. we're hitting that now, right, at, at Texas. <clears throat> so I never felt isolated or alone. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, I can, of course I can do this. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that was a really good environment to, to go through, something different than what you had, Sharon. Yeah. But it's interesting because I never felt odd or, you know, I was just yeah. myself. And so most of my classes, I was the only woman, and most of the things I did, I was the only woman. And when I was in high school, I was in JETS, the Junior Engineering Technical Society, and we built uh, an observatory, and I was the only woman. But it never hit me I was the only woman. I was just me. (laughs) So why do you think it's important for STEM to represent the diversity of society? So I'll I'll jump in on that one because I feel super strongly about this. Um, I think, you know, from a very scientific or or analytic perspective, there's a lot of data now that show that um, groups that have uh, a diversity of uh, have people with a diversity of backgrounds and ways of thinking and expressing themselves are much more effective. And I think um, teams of engineers and scientists uh, will benefit Uh, just from having, mixing it up and having people who come with different perspectives and different ideas. So that's one just, you know, data-based reason why. I think another reason is, um, you know, we women... Are, make up more than 50% of the undergraduate population now, I think, at most universities. Um, why shouldn't, you know, we be 50% of the scientists? Why should there be a difference between the sciences and the liberal arts and the humanities and the social sciences in terms of of women and the diversity of backgrounds, too? It's just we're missing out if we're not recruiting people, um, all of the people that now are at the university into STEM fields who feel passionate about about science and engineering. And then the final reason that you and I, you know, have talked about a little bit is I think it's really important for societal problems. Um, there's a lot of, of information now that, particularly in the medical fields, that... Um, uh, women respond differently than men to drugs. People of different backgrounds respond um, differently to different drugs. They express different versions of proteins and enzymes in their cells. And I think that having people who can relate to and come to look at problems from these different backgrounds really just helps the entire um, addressing societal problems that everybody um, is exposed to. That's awesome. Yeah, I think um, engineering is a lot about problem solving, and you need to come up with, you need to solve the problems that face the entire population, so much as Linda said. Um, I think it's interesting, you know, that uh, for a while, Japanese cars were incredibly popular in the U.S. because the population in Japan tends to be of smaller stature, so the cars fit the w- fit women better. Okay, well, if we had only men designing cars, then we would have the wrong size for half our population. So it, it's... Not the same thing that she was saying, but we want to try to represent everyone and solve problems that everyone's facing. Yeah, and I, I guess I would agree with both of you. And one of the things is that uh, that hasn't quite been mentioned is that if more than half the population in the U.S. are women and underrepresented groups, you're you're leaving all that brain power if you don't have them as part of uh, STEM fields. And as they both said, I mean they're different problems that you know exist that should be researched based on what your background and experience is. And the more people with different backgrounds and different experiences you can have uh, working in STEM fields, the more likely you are to solve problems that uh, one segment doesn't know even exists. 
So once the students are here, what are some ways to close the gaps um, in student representation in STEM? And how do we support um, students of color and different identities, marginalized identities in STEM? Um, I'll start with an example uh, from the College of Natural Sciences. Um, We have a program called the Freshman Research Initiative in which instead of um, our freshmen coming in and taking standard introductory biology, chemistry, physics laboratories, they jump right in and work in, in groups of about 20 to 30 students on a really novel independent research project that's near and dear to a faculty member's heart. Um, And I think this really encourages people um, who don't come from traditional backgrounds that have supported the sciences in in several different ways. One is that some of our students, those who come from low socioeconomic backgrounds or um, very rural areas or, uh, uh, you know, urban areas, Um, that haven't had some of the amazing facilities in their high schools um, that some of our other uh, high schools do, they get to see what doing real lab research is like. All of the cool, fun experiments and technology that that, um, go on to make up a research laboratory experience. They get to really explore um, and and understand what it's like to discover something new before as one of the first things they do in science at the university. And I think that provides a lot of impetus and uh, motivation for sticking with um, the science degrees when they become when they become tough. And the other, I think, great thing about that um, aspect, and I wish I'd been able to do this as a freshman, is they really work as a team. They learn to work effectively, um, I think, more effectively as a team, um, addressing scientific problems. So they kind of go through the frustrations together. They solve problems together, which I think is um, something that the engineering engineer students are, are good at and trained at, but scientists don't get to do that as much early on. Um, and that's a lot of the fun part of doing science. And so I think this particular program, the Research Initiative really helps folks who are not from your traditional scientific mold experience the joy and the the wonder of doing science. Yeah, our experience is a little different. We actually start with high school students, and so we have a program called GeoForce Texas, and we take students from inner city Houston high schools in Southwest Texas, and for the four years they're in high school, we take them on field trips for a week, everywhere from like the Grand Canyon to Mount St. Helens, and so we try to make them passionate about science uh, and see the different kinds of things that students can do, um, but we also, they have to uh, solve problems and and think about what they see and we their last year we're now taking them to UT where they get to go to labs and see all the different kinds of things that can be done so that we're encouraging more and more of them uh, to go to college and particularly to go into STEM and we've got 90 um, some percent of the students that have gone through the program since 2005 have actually gone to college and most of them are ones that have you know, come from families where nobody has, they're first-generation students, and 60-some percent have gone into STEM fields as a major. And so then when they come, those that come to UT, uh, we continue to work with them and really, certainly in the geosciences, try to make sure they get involved in doing research early because, as Linda just said, the Freshman Research Initiative has shown that that's really valuable. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of the things that that we've done is have a lot of outreach activities. So um, probably the biggest one that we do is the Introduce a Girl to Engineering Day. 
and it happens in the spring. We get between four and 6,000 students to come to campus. And not only does it give an opportunity for these young girls, they're usually in uh, K through eighth grade, to see what it, get some idea of hands-on activities, but it means that our students get to be volunteers and get to be excited and, and do that. And so I think it's been really nice for me to see that, um, I mentioned my dad was an engineer, but we now have students that their first introduction to engineering was going to that program, and now they're engineering students. So they get to pay it back. They get to get introduced at an early age. And I think having multiple opportunities to see people and see people who are closer to your age, I think that's been very effective also. Yeah, a number of the Geoforce students that come to UT as college students then go back and they go as uh, uh, helpers on the field trips in the summer so that the students can see people that look like them that are in college and are doing STEM. That's awesome. So for the young person who may have trouble picturing um, themselves in science or STEM overall, um, what would you say is the value of STEM education? What advice would you give them? Well, I guess um, I'll answer the question a little differently. I mean, to my mind, the thing that I found as I was coming through, and again, as I said before, I, you know, was there were very few women uh, when I was going through in my field. I didn't think of myself as a woman, and I think if you, I thought of myself as a person, as somebody who was a budding geoscientist. And so I guess my advice to people is uh, don't let other people define you. Uh, if you think, oh, everybody thinks I'm, I'm a, a woman and that's unusual, or I'm black or I'm Hispanic, and you're letting other people define you. You are who you are. You're capable of doing what you can do, and you should just think of yourself as you know somebody who is in that particular field and moving forward and and uh, be confident in yourself and your own abilities yeah I, I agree with Sharon we started a program called you belong here to let all our students know that we value them and we believe that every single one can be successful and it's amazing just how if you keep repeating this and that people, it builds people's confidence and they don't feel isolated and they feel part of a group. Yeah. So it's been very helpful for us. I also think it's it's helpful. So I, like Sharon, didn't have a whole lot of people who were like me when I was a, a more junior scientist. But I think it's helpful now to try to seek those people out. And that's why I really think it's important for us to have faculty and, and mentors, graduate students who um, come from different backgrounds. It's, it's very helpful to seek people out. A lot of women, for instance, um, are afraid that they can't do something like be a high-power engineer or scientist and have a child because that those two things are incompatible. Whereas if you talk to people who have had children and are in our positions, there's a huge number of advantages. There's tremendous flexibility. There's wonderful things that can happen. And, and so, you know, talking to people about, well, I don't think I want to do that or I can do this because of this and finding out how they have dealt with that situation or overcome that situation or what the challenges have really been, I think, is is helpful um, just to find out without making a preconceived, you know, judgment about how things might be finding out more information. So I think that's valuable, too. Um, so speaking of that, what was your path to becoming um, the dean of a large um, college or school in STEM? 
Well, I'll start with that. I would Good. say mine was um, <laughs> could have predi- nobody would have ever guessed I would be a dean until I actually became a dean. But I probably could have read the tea leaves back when I was a graduate student. I um, got science and nature, you know, the premier journals in 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 our field, and I always wanted to read wanted to read them cover to cover. I love the anthropology and the psychology and the math and the physics and everything. I, of course, I couldn't even keep up with the literature in my own field. Um, but when I get to, got to the point in my career where I focused on my own research problems for a long time, I, um, by serendipity, had a chance to play an administrative role at my former university and kind of got back to that um, being involved with the breadth of the sciences and really appreciating um, the ability to think about astronomy, think about chemistry, think about a real um, uh, much uh, more diverse set of the sciences, which it really excited me. And the other thing which um, I found very rewarding to my surprise was I found it was very um, fulfilling to help other people get their research done and figure out how to have a bigger impact by affecting research across the entire scientific field of a university rather just than just focusing on my particular problem. So that's kind of how I evolved from a super specialized scientist into the dean of a college of natural sciences. And my path is a little different. I had always said that I would not do any administration until my children, <laughs> until my children got out of high school. And um, but I met, I ended up getting involved in uh, several professional societies, being president of of one, uh, starting a startup, a journal aggregation, and doing a whole lot of things that were more administrative, but for the essentially good of the geosciences. And so when the Jackson School was really just starting to um, to grow and change, um, I saw that there were so many things that I now had the skills and abilities to really help that. And so I agreed to go into administration. I was chair for two years. And then when we were searching for a new dean, um, I realized that there was such potential and tremendous challenges, and this was something that would be really exciting to do. And it's wonderful because I I get to learn about all the science and see what people are doing and help both students as well as faculty and research scientists succeed. And that, that's very, very rewarding. Yeah, so I think my decision was much like Sharon's, is that I got involved with professional societies and took on leadership roles <clears throat> and... Um, enjoyed that aspect of it. And then then my um, career here at UT, I became a department chair and, and did that for five years before I became dean. But I agree with Linda that the part I like is the problem solving and trying to help everyone. I think as an individual um, faculty member, you're, you're so focused on your own work that it's nice to think more broadly and try to improve the entire school. And so then what do you love most about your job? Like, what do you love most about being the dean? Well, no day is the same. So it's always <laughs> something new every day. And then I really like problem solving. I mean, I am an engineer and there are no shortage of problems to solve. <laughs> I guess I would say two things. One, I really enjoy learning about all the research that both the students and faculty and research scientists are doing and seeing connections and being able to match people up both within the school and externally, particularly across campus, 
so that they can really do a lot of interdisciplinary work that's really interesting. The other thing, I really enjoy uh, going out and seeing alumni. Um, maybe because I've been at UT so long, so many of the alumni are people I taught. Uh, it's really, it's fun to go out and find out what they're doing and you know what, what impact we had at UT on, you know, where they ended up. And so I really enjoy that immensely. So I would echo what, what both of the Sharons said, and I would also add that um, one of the most rewarding things that I found is the ability to really rethink how we offer um, edu- science education um, and, and be able to influence that in a big way. Uh, um, I think things have are changing, and we know so much more about how people effectively learn, especially in the sciences, than we did when I first started out as a professor. And really to be able to bring that to students now in the 21st century and make science more fun and make our education educational approaches more effective and prepare them in a way that we couldn't before is is one of the things that I've found that's very, um, uh, I don't think I could have done without being in a position in the dean's office. So what makes you hopeful about um, seeing more representation of women and other marginalized identities in STEM for the future? Well, I think the fact that we're doing things like having this conversation is amazing. Look, we have three female deans of the science colleges <laughs> at University of Texas at Austin. That is pr- still pretty Unfortunately, unusual, but it's happened. I think there's an immense amount of conversation and recognition of the what we call the problem of diversity that Mark addressed, um, but also the fact that diversity is now a part of our daily conversations. I would say, in the I think there's broad recognition. I hear no pushback um, from at least in my college, that this is not an important problem. So just recognition that, that there is value in having diversity um, throughout the sciences and engineering, which wasn't there probably a decade ago, and the, all the conversation happening about it, it's got to lead to some good progress. Yeah, I guess I would say it's very encouraging to me to see so many women in uh, sciences, particularly for me in the geosciences, but also see an increasing number of minorities going into the geosciences as well. And I, that, that gives me hope for the future, that we will continue to grow in those directions. And I also was very uh, pleased that we are about ready to roll out our next strategic plan, five-year strategic plan, and there's a large section in there on broadening participation and diversity um, within the strategic plan, and it was something that the faculty really wanted in there. And I'm excited because we I just see um, record number of women and underrepresented minorities, minorities applying to the Cockrell School, being admitted into the Cockrell School. Um, we've also been successful in trying to in, um, increase the number of faculty members. And then I get feedback from students who are not underrepresented, but how much they like having those faculty members and the unique perspectives they're bringing. So I, I'm very hopeful for the future. So again, thank you all for being here and engaging in this conversation with me. Um, So I just want to thank you all for being here. Thank you, Kayla. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been very enjoyable. Thank you. Point of Discovery is a production of the University of Texas at Austin's College of Natural Sciences. We're on the web at pointofdiscovery.org. 
Our senior editor is Christine Sinatra. I'm your host and producer, Mark Earhart. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.